0: chapter 10 of the four faces by william le this libervox recording is in the public domain recording by tom weiss chapter 10 narrates a confession half an hour later the man found in the hiding hole lay upon a bed in one of the spare rooms though not dead he had when discovered been in the last stage of exhaustion The doctor telephoned for had at once discovered that what we already suspected was true. The man's left ankle was very badly sprained. It must, he said, have been sprained ten or twelve days previously. In addition, the man was almost like a skeleton. "'You found him not an hour too soon,' the doctor said when, after completing his diagnosis, and giving instructions concerning the treatment of his patient to the nurse who had just arrived, he rejoined us in the smoking-room downstairs.' he is in a state of complete collapse for days he has evidently not touched food he looked at us in turn with an odd expression as he said this he was clearly mystified at finding a man at holt manor dying of starvation a starving man dressed for the chase a man obviously of refinement and undoubtedly to be described as a gentleman sir roland decided under the circumstances to tell the doctor everything how the man's presence had been discovered by Dick, how we had afterwards found him lying upon the floor of the hiding-hole, apparently dead, and how, with the help of ropes, we had finally pulled him out. The doctor had, of course, heard of the robbery at Holt nearly a fortnight before, and he at once put two and two together. For two days the stranger quivered between life and death. Two nurses were in constant attendance, and the doctor called frequently. It was on the afternoon of the third day that he expressed a desire to talk to Sir Roland. He had, until then, been allowed to speak only a word or two. He wanted, he said, to speak with Sir Roland alone, but to this Sir Roland would not agree. "If you want to speak to me, you can speak quite freely before this gentleman," he said. "I was in the room at the time." At first the man seemed distressed, but at last, finding that Sir Roland would make no concession, he said in a weak voice. I'm dying, Sir Roland. I feel it, and before I go there are things I should like to say to you, things that it may be to your advantage to hear. His voice, I noticed, had in it the timbre peculiar to the voices of men of education. Say anything you like, Sir Roland answered coldly. You have been exceedingly kind to me. There are men who, finding me in concealment as you found me, and after what has happened in this house would at once have called in the police. You may believe me or not, but I am extremely grateful to you, and I want to show my gratitude in the only way I can.' He paused for nearly a minute, then continued, "'Sir Roland, I will tell you as much as I am justified in telling you about the robbery. But first, has anybody concerned in it been arrested?' Sir Roland shook his head. "'Nobody, as yet,' he answered. The police have not discovered even the smallest clue. "'I and another were in your bedroom when your son sudden, suddenly sprang from behind the screen,' the stranger went on. "'Again, you may believe me or not, but I tried to prevent my companion from doing him any injury. It was I who put the chloroform on the boy, but I did him no other harm, I swear, sir.' I saw Sir Roland's eyes blaze. Then, as his glance rested upon the stranger's starved, almost ashen face, It seemed to be gradually growing livid, the sternness of his expression relaxed. "'How came you to be in hiding here?' he asked abruptly. "'How many accomplices had you?' Seven, the stranger replied, without an instant's hesitation. "'The robbery was carefully planned. It was planned so carefully that it seemed without the bounds of possibility that it could fail to succeed. I and others were at your hunt breakfast.' "'Were your accomplices all men?' I interrupted sharply. The man's stare met mine. He looked at me with, I thought, singular malevolence. "'They were not,' he said quietly. He turned again to Sir Roland. "'Just after your son had been rendered unconscious, I had the misfortune to slip up on the polished floor and sprain my ankle badly. No sooner did my companion realize what had happened than he snatched from me all the stolen property I held in spite of my endeavor to prevent him, then emptied my pockets.' and left me. Dismayed at being thus deserted, for unless I could hide it once I must I knew quickly be discovered, I crawled out of the room on all fours and along the landing as far as the angle where the hiding place is. The hole was opened. We had opened it before entering your room lest we might be surprised and suddenly forced to hide. Almost as I reached it I heard somebody coming. Instantly I scrambled down and slid the board over my head. "'How came you to know of the existence and the whereabouts of the hiding-hall at all?' Sir Roland inquired, eyeing the stranger suspiciously. "'That I do not wish to tell. I hoped ultimately to be rescued by my accomplices, and for that reason I made no sound which might have revealed my presence. My ankle had swollen considerably, and confided in my riding-boot, which I couldn't pull off, it gave me intense pain.' to clamber out unaided was consequently an impossibility so there I lay slowly starving hoping night after night that my accomplices would force an entrance into the house and rescue me for my companion who left me must have guessed where i was in hiding we had agreed as i have said to seek concealment in that hole should either of us be driven to hide in order to escape detection was the man who deserted you the man who deliberately strained my boy's arm by twisting it Sir Roland asked. Yes. What is his name? Gastrell. Hugesson Gastrell. That's the name the brute is known by. He always was a blackguard, a perisher. I shall refuse to betray any of the others. They are my friends. But Hugesson Gastrell. Don't forget that name, Sir Roland. You may some day be very glad I told it to you. The man of the four faces. He paused. He seemed suddenly to be growing weaker. As we sat there watching him I could not help in a sense feeling pity for the fellow, and I knew that Sir Roland felt the same. It seemed terrible to find a man like this, quite young, he was certainly under thirty, a man with the unmistakable cachet of public school and university, engaged in a career of infamy. What was his life story, I wondered, as I looked at him, noting how refined his features were, what well-shaped hands he had! Why had he sunk so low? Above all, who was he? For certainly he was no ordinary malefactor. Suddenly he turned on his back, wincing with pain as he did so. He had been lying partly on his side. "'I can't betray my friend, Sir Roland,' he murmured. "'But believe me when I say I am deeply grateful for your kindness to me. I was not always what I am now, you know.' His voice grew weaker still not always an adventurer, a criminal, if you will. Yes, I am a criminal, and have been for many years, unconvicted as yet, but none the less a criminal. I was once what you are, Sir Roland. I took pride in being a gentleman and in calling myself one. Educated at Marlborough and at Trinity, but why should I bore you with my story, eh, Sir Roland? Why should I bore you with, with, ah, the four faces, "'The Four Faces!' he repeated. His eyes rolled strangely, then looked dully up at the ceiling. What did he mean by the Four Faces? Did he refer to the medallion worn by Gastrell? His mind was beginning to wander. He muttered and murmured for a minute, then again his words became articulate. "'Jasmine! Oh, Jasmine, my darling, I love you so!' "'I started.' "'Jasmine, if only you would!' oh yes that is all i ask all i want my darling woman all i you remember it all don't you yes oh it was it was her fault he wouldn't otherwise have killed her oh no discovery is impossible the be... it was quite unrecognizable the four faces Ha <laughs> i myself saw it black charred beyond all hope of recognition he did right to dear i should have done the same Between these scraps of sentences were words impossible to catch the meaning of, so indistinctly were they uttered, some being said beneath his breath, some muttered and inarticulate, some little more than murmurings. He moved restlessly on the bed, then his eyes slowly closed, and for a minute he lay still. And then, all at once, he seemed to spring back into life. "'Mother!' he shouted suddenly in quite a strong voice. He started up in bed and now sat erect and still, his wide-stretched eyes staring straight before him. The nurse had, at Sir Roland's request, left the room before the stranger had begun to speak to him. Now, opening the door quickly, Sir Roland called to her to return. The stranger's eyes were fixed. Motionless he sat there glaring, as it seemed to us, at some figure facing him. Instinctively we followed the direction of his gaze but naught was visible to us save the artistic pattern upon the pink tinted wallpaper opposite the foot of the bed his lips were slightly parted now we saw them move as though he spoke rapidly but no words came and then all at once he smiled the four faces he repeated almost inaudibly it was not a vacant smile not the smile of a man mentally deficient but a smile charged with meaning, with intelligent expression. A smile of delight, of greeting. A smile full of love. It was the first time we had seen a smile, or anything approaching one, upon his face, and in an instant it revealed how handsome the man had been. Mother! This time the word was only murmured, a murmur so low as to be barely audible. The fellow's pyjama jacket, once Sir Roland Challoner had lent to him, had become unfastened at the throat, and now I noticed that a thin gold chain was round his neck, and that from it there depended a flat, circular locket. Sir Roland was seated close beside the bed. Almost as I noticed this locket he saw it too. I saw him bend forward a little and take it in his fingers and turn it over. I could see it distinctly from where I sat. Upon the reverse side was a miniature, the portrait of a woman a woman of forty-five or so, very beautiful still, a striking face of singular refinement. Yes, there could be no doubt whatever. The eyes of the miniature bore a striking likeness to the strangers, which now gazed at nothing with that fixed, unmeaning stare. I had noticed Sir Roland raised his eyebrows. Now he sat staring intently at the miniature which lay flat upon the palm of his hand. At last he let it drop and turned to me, while the stranger still sat upright in the bed, gazing still at something he seemed to see before him. "'I believe I have discovered his identity,' Sir Roland whispered. "'I recognize the portrait in that locket. I couldn't possibly mistake it seeing that years ago I knew the original well. It's a miniature of Lady Logan, who died some years ago. Her husband, Lord Logan, was a gambler, a spendthrift, and a drunkard, and he treated her with abominable cruelty. They had one child, a son. I remember the son sitting on my knee when he was quite a little chap. He couldn't at that time have been more than five or six. He went to Marlborough, I know, then crammed for the army, but failed to pass, and yet he was undoubtedly clever. His father became infuriated upon hearing that he had not qualified, and in a fit of drunkenness turned him with curses out of the house forbidding him ever to return in spite of lady logan's pleading on the lad's behalf the lad had from infancy been passionately devoted to his mother though he couldn't bear his father the mother died soon afterwards of a broken heart it was said and lord logan survived her only a few months dying eventually of delirium tremens upon his death the little money he left was swallowed up in paying his debts the son, whose name was Harold, didn't show up even at funerals. None knew where he was or what had become of him. It was generally believed that he had gone abroad, and Logan's executors thought it probable that the son had not had news of either his mother's or his father's death. Altogether it was a very sad story, and he checked himself, for the stranger had turned his head and was looking at us. Never shall I forget the infinite pathos of his expression." at that moment. There was something in the face which betrayed misery and dejection so abject that for days afterwards the look haunted me. Again I saw the lips move, but no sound came. He had sunk back upon his pillows. Once more his eyes gazed fixedly at the ceiling. Some moments later the mouth gaped, the lips turned slowly blue, a dull leaden hue spread over the pale features. The nurse hurried forward, but there was nothing to be done. Harold Logan, Lord Logan's wasteful son, was dead. End of Chapter Ten. Recording by Tom Weiss. Tom's com